0: Today we're beginning a new series of messages called Fearless, and one area where we're going to be focusing on, I, we're really going to go through the next several weeks, some different areas of life where I think a lot of people, or a lot of us have certain fears, and I think one area where people have fear in is marriage. Uh, now let me share with you something that I, I feel like that I have learned in about almost 20 years, actually 20 years of, uh, of being a pastor. And this is what I've learned I've learned that people are weird. now I know that seems really strange, but uh, the, and here's the deal we're all we're all weird we're all strange people we all have different quirks and and uh, different things that we're fearful of and I was looking up some different phobias that people have, and I know you've heard some of these before, but I'll just share with you, and the whole idea is that when I go through this list, you're going to find out we are pretty much afraid of everything. I mean, everything you can think of, somebody's scared of it. Uh, there's, of course, arachnophobia. I picked that one because I knew you all know what that is. A fear of? Yes, yeah, spiders. There's a fear of spiders. Uh, there's something I'd never heard of before. Allophobia, which is a fear, and this is really strange to me, a fear of flutes, like, you know, the instrument? <laughs> like, how weird is that? I guess it's fear. I mean, he scares me. But uh, there's a fear of flutes, and there's a pedalophobia, which is a fear of bald people. Um, and so uh, some of you guys are frightening to many people. Uh, there's pentherophobia, which I like this one because my in-laws are here today. Jane and Henry are right over here. Pentherophobia is a fear of your mother-in-law. Now, uh, uh, and I know that many of you have been stricken with this. I have not. I love my mother-in-law, and I have to say that because she scares me. Um, and then there is also um, Dutch phobia. And I, I did this one in honor of Emily's sister-in-law. Dutch phobia, that is uh, a fear of Dutch people. I mean, how random and bizarre is that? So anyway, uh, I had some fun with this. Y'all, there was a whole lot more I could have done. We could have gone through the whole service because some of them are great but not appropriate. So we're just going to stop there. So there's a lot of things that people are afraid of in life. And one of the things, really, that people have a fear of is is marriage. Now, you can you can say that is absolutely not true. People are not afraid of marriage. I mean, you know, over 90% of people get married. And that is true, 90% of people get married, but we know the statistic that says that half of those marriages end in divorce. And, and then I start thinking about, what about the other 50% that don't get divorced? And I start thinking, how many of them are actually happy? I mean, oh you know, really? And that, that is kind of frightening to me to think about whenever I think about the whole idea of marriage and how many people are actually enjoying marriage And then we see statistics that show us that people are getting married later and later every year. Uh, The average age for an American male to get married is about 29 years of age. Uh, For a female, it's 26 and a half. And they did a study on this. They said, why are you waiting so long to get married? And one of the top answers why is people said, because we've seen our parents' marriages. And we don't want any part of that. They're afraid of marriage. And I thought about that, and I said, man, I I really can't say that I blame them for being fearful about marriage. But what I do know is that when God created people, He did not create us to live our lives in fear. He created us to live our lives in joy, and in peace, and in hope, and in purpose. And one thing that we're going to see is that when God created men and women, and He created marriage, that He did so not to scare us, but he created this institution in order to make us whole. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to look in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. So I hope you'll have your Bible and you can look in there. It's a scripture that I'm sure some of you will be pretty familiar with. But I want to give you a background, some background information about this passage we're looking at. Jesus had been in northern Israel, up by the Sea of Galilee. And he, he crossed over into the Jordan River, which feeds the Sea of Galilee, crossed over into the region of Judea, which is now modern-day Jordan. And so he comes over there, he's going to do some more ministry over there, and as he crosses over, there's some religious leaders there, you know, guys, you know, like preacher people, and they're over there and ask Jesus a question. And they, these guys, unfortunately, were not asking Jesus questions in order to say, we want to learn. They're trying to trap him all the time. Because they didn't like Jesus, because he was popular. And he was taking away followers from them. And so they asked him a very simple question. They said, is divorce permissible? Is it okay for people to get divorced? Now, their motives for asking this question were not really, they were not pure. Um, when Jesus went into into Judea, and this might be, be more than you want to know, but I think it kind of sets the context for this text. There's a guy named Herod Antipas who was the ruler of this region. Now some of you are like, oh yeah, I remember Herod Antipas. Uh, most of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. So that's fine, it's me. And so who is Herod Antipas? Well, he was the ruler in this region, but you're going to know him now. He was a guy who had been divorced. He left his wife. And then he married his brother's wife. That's not good. Okay, and that's, That makes for bad Christmases, right? And so he married his brother's wife. Now there was another guy who was related to Jesus named John the Baptist. You all familiar with John the Baptist? You've heard of him before. Um, John the Baptist called him out on this. And John the Baptist started speaking out against this. This is ungodly. It's not right. And so Herod took this for a while. But then he didn't like it very much. And y'all remember what he did to John the Baptist? Yeah, he cut his head off. Now, the religious leaders of the day were hoping that Jesus might give an answer similar to John the Baptist, thinking, we're finally going to get Jesus in trouble here. So this is sort of the motivation behind the question, is it permissible for man to be divorced? What Jesus did is Jesus answered the question by pointing out, the hope that is actually involved in marriage. And his response opened up some reasons that we can find meaning and purpose in marriage to where we do not have to live in fear of marriage, but that we can live in the joy of marriage. And so I just want to share with us, some from our text today, some purposes for marriage that come from God. And the very first purpose that I see in marriage is God desires in our marriages to be the pilot, in other words, to lead and guide your marriage. Now, look with me in verse number, let's see, verse 6. It says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Now, marriage is something that is sort of fresh on my mind right now, because a few weeks ago, I was able to do a wedding, and when the couple's getting married, I told them, I said, yeah, it's really neat that when you look at the very first marriage, that God is the one who who performed the very first wedding ceremony. And I thought, I thought it was also neat that God is actually the very first father of the bride. You know, he's the one that gave Eve to be married to Adam. But the point in all of this is that it says from the very beginning, if you look in verse 6, from the very beginning, God had marriage in mind. Now, now why did he have marriage in mind? Because in God's estimation, as he watched Adam, and also in his foreknowledge, he knew that wholeness, when he calls people to be married, that they're only going to discover wholeness whenever they have a relationship with another person. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about singleness. Paul mentioned the importance of singleness. God calls people to singleness. He also calls people to marriage. And if you've been called to marriage then I want you to know that you're only going to find wholeness in marriage. And you're only going to find wholeness in marriage whenever God is the pilot of your marriage. And being a pilot of marriage, that is a tall task. That's why God says I'm to be the pilot. Um, I think most of us would agree that... I would be be surprised if there's anybody in here that is uh, licensed to fly a 747. I mean, if you are, well... You're like, that's pretty incredible. That's cool. But for most of us, we're not licensed to fly the plane. The only one that is licensed, really, to fly the plane of marriage is God. And if we try to do it on our own, guys, let me tell you something. Marriage is a complicated plane to try to fly on your own. Um, I really believe this. I believe that marriage is more difficult than flying a plane. And here's why. Because I believe men and women are from two completely different planets, right? I mean, we are different people. There was a study done by Harvard University where they went out and they went to playgrounds and they watched kids in order to see how boys and girls communicate differently. And when they, in this study, what they discovered is that girls, when they communicated on the playground, that their communication was 100% verbal. Not that that's surprising, right? I mean, everything they do, it's always just talk, 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 talk. Okay, When they watch the boys, when they watch the boys' boys communication, you know how much of it was verbal their communication? 60%, which I think is great. Now you think, what in the world is the other 40%? It is sound effects, right? It is grunts and groans and, you know, making vroom vroom sounds. This is, this is a Harvard study. So guys communicate 60% with words, women 100. Uh, some studies even say that women speak on average 25,000 words a day. Men on average supposedly speak anywhere from 10 to 15,000 words a day. That right there is a recipe for trouble. Now, I promise you, marriage isn't a plane you want to fly on your own. God did not design us to be the ones flying the plane. And yet, many of us are trying to shove God out of the pilot seat in marriage and say, I'm going to fly this plane by myself. But what happens when we try to fly a 747 by ourselves? I can tell you what's going to happen with me. If I'm flying the 747, I am going to crash it. And I have seen a lot of marriages crash, because God was not the pilot. Now I know for me, I, I like to try to slide over into the pilot seat a lot in marriage. And my in-laws are here, which is like, this is horrible, so I can't be as honest as I was going to be, because I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta look pretty good. But you know, whenever we first got married, I, I've really thought that marriage, and this is not that it's going to be shocking to y'all, I thought it was about me. You know, I thought that, hey, we're getting married because it's going to give Emily the opportunity to have the Pleasure and blessing of doing stuff for me. And so what was happening is that I was making myself God in marriage. And let me tell you, I don't make a good God. I'm I'm selfish. It's it's very easy. When I slide myself over into the pilot's seat, I think everything is to revolve around me. But when that happens, y'all, I'm not making the journey God's intended for me to make. And not only that, when I become the pilot then I'm going to damage not just my relationship with my wife, I'm going to damage my relationship with my God. See, God has said in marriage that He is to be the pilot of the marriage. He has a design and a purpose and a plan for it. Listen to what Peter wrote in 1 Peter three seven. He says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your lives with understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. When it says weaker nature, it's not saying that women are not as smart as men. It's talking about... Physically, men, are stronger. We have, we have been built to lead. We are strong, but we are co-heirs. It says, honor your wife as a co-heir. So why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, we're going to get more into God's desire, our design for marriage in the next couple of points. But if we can come to the understanding that God is to be the pilot of marriage, we can trust God to fly the plane. Because God, when He's flying the plane, He's not going to crash it. He's the one that designed it. He made it. He understands what the human relationship is all about. And as we allow God to lead us in marriage, God blesses that. Do you know that? God blesses obedience. In Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will, it says, prosper and succeed in whatever you do. So here's the hint. Don't freelance in marriage. Go to, go to God's Word. Trust God to lead. You might say, well, I need some help in that area. And I think most of us do. Now, if you need help in that area, here's a really neat thing. We have small groups, V groups. And one of our V groups is a marriage group. It's an eight, just an eight-week sort of like crash course in getting your marriage off on the right foot. Led by Tally and Peggy Hood in our church. Two people that I love and respect so much. They've mentored so many young people, young married people in our church over the years. And so if you'd like to sign up for that class, you all need to look in your bulletin and look them up. Because that's a little commercial right there. Okay, so back to marriage. What is God's design and purpose for marriage? first purpose is for God to be the pilot of the marriage. But here's the second thing. God's purpose in our marriages is for us to have teamwork in our marriages. Now look with me in verses 7 and 8. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh." One of the great barriers that happens in marriages is whenever couples get married, and yet they still keep themselves under the leadership of, of their mom and dad at home. Now, I'm not saying that whenever you get married that you're supposed to you know, move halfway across the country and then totally ignore everything your parents say and say, I don't care about you anymore. If, if we did that, then we're breaking the fifth commandment which is where God says that we are to honor our father and mother. But whenever a person gets married, the authority changes because a new family has been established, and mom and dad no longer have say over their children. Does that make sense? Mom and dad are not the ones who are to say, "Y'all, you, I know that y'all are married now, but you can't do this. You have to do what we say. That, that's over. Now, the new husband and wife are still to honor their families, But they are to make their spouses their number one relationship. In marriage, the number one relationship that there is in your family is you and your spouse. It's not you and your mom and dad. It's not you and your kids. It's you and your spouse. Only one other relationship is to take precedent over your relationship with your spouse. And that is your relationship with Jesus. Okay, so how close is our relationship with our spouse to be? If you look in verses 7 and 8, it says the husband is to be joined to his wife. That word joined is a really neat word. It means to be glued together. It means to be cemented together. Okay, would y'all say that's pretty close? If you're glued to somebody? Oh, I mean, that's, that sounds frightening in one way, but that's, it wasn't meant to be frightening. It's just to say, you, you are, that's why we say we, you are one flesh. The very first marriage took place between Adam and Eve. Where did Eve come from? Y'all remember? Adam's rib. That's exactly right. That's why Adam said, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. They were literally one flesh. Literally. Today, when we get married, there is something mysterious that happens through God. And that is that we become one flesh with our spouse. We become one flesh. How's that happen? Well, it's a mystery. Ephesians 5:32 and 33 says, this mystery speaking of becoming one flesh is profound. Each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. And when that happens, we come together in marriage, it says we become one flesh. What's the idea behind one flesh? Well, that we're one. And whenever you're one flesh, you take care of your flesh, right? You take care of yourself. I am more interested in my flesh than yours. That doesn't sound good, does it? But, you know, if I step on a nail or you step on a nail, um, I'm like, man, that looks like that hurts. Sorry about that. But let me tell you, if I step on that nail, it is the most important thing in the world. Why? Because it's me. And I don't like pain. If it's my flesh, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to go to the doctor. I don't want to get an infection. I want to get the thing out. I want you to make me quit hurting. Okay, the idea is that when we become one flesh with our spouse, when our spouse is not doing well, because we're one flesh, you're not going to be either. Have you all ever heard the saying, if mama ain't happy? You all know that one? Okay, that comes from the idea of one flesh. You see, whenever we are together, we are a team. And if one is not doing well, that means that we're not doing well either. And our lives are not as full when we're not working together. But when we work together, oh, there's incredible harmony that can be there. It's great joys that can be there. Uh, there's an old story about, Jim, I think it's Jimmy Durante. He was a, a comedian, and he was asked to come speak to some World War II veterans right after the war was over. And he said, I'd love to do it. I can only give you five minutes of my time because I have other engagements. They said, that's fine. We just would love for you to make an appearance. So he came to make an appearance. He started off his little routine, told a couple stories. And then five minutes passed, and he, he kept talking. And he went for, for another 30 minutes and then he spoke for an hour and when he was finished everybody was cheering him on he walked off the stage and everybody was like the, the guy behind the stage, the manager of the event said, I thought you could only stay 5 minutes he said, I was only going to stay 5 minutes, he said, but let me tell you why I stayed he said, look at those two guys in the front row and he looked over the two guys in the front row and they were, they were cheering the next guy that was coming on the two guys in the front row, both of them had lost an arm and when they were clapping, they were sitting next to each other slapping hands like that and he said, when I saw them, he said, I said, I'm staying for those guys. Because you see, on their own, they recognized they were, they were weak. On their own, there were certain things they couldn't do. But when they worked together, they could make a great noise together. And you know what? In a similar sense, it's marriage. When we work together, we can do great things together. On our own, we're not quite complete, but together we are completed. Genesis 1.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is like him. God's intention in marriage is for us to share the joys and even the burdens of life together. Now, what's the purpose of marriage? It's God to be the pilot. It's for us to, to work as a team. It's the last thing I want you to see before we conclude last purpose of marriage is for it to be permanent. Marriage is to be permanent. Uh, Verse 9, last verse. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Now this makes a whole lot of sense. When you see the context of this scripture, remember Herod Antipas had divorced his wife, married his brother's wife, had John the Baptist killed. And the, the, these guys come in, the religious leaders, saying, what do you think about divorce? I mean, it's, it's a setup question. And instead of Jesus getting, you know, all angry, he just goes back and says, well, let's just go back and see what God says. And he says, what well, God has joined together, he said, man must not separate. In other words, marriage, it is a covenant. You know, marriage is not a contract. Man, there's a difference between a contract and a covenant. Contract, you live up to your end of the bargain Things go well, uh, but if somebody does, if the other party doesn't live up to their bargain, you can you can you just clean off your hands and say you screwed up. I'm out of here. Too many people look at marriage as a contract. It is a covenant. It is between a man and a woman where you are making a covenant with them that you will be with them, be faithful to them, unconditionally, as God has been faithful to you unconditionally. Now, this was not being taught everywhere. There were religious leaders of the day who were making allowances for divorce to make life easier. One of the most respected teachers of the day was a rabbi during this day. His name was Hillel. And Hillel said, you know what? Here's, you, you, can, you can justifiably leave your wife for these, these reasons. And you'll find, I think you'll find these interesting. If, if your wife has a loud voice. Okay? Think, man, none of us are going to be married there. As if, you're, if your wife speaks poorly about your parents in front of you, if she burns your meal. That was Hillel. This is a respected rabbi. Another rabbi of the day, his name was Akiba. He went the length of saying that a man could divorce his wife if he found a woman whom he liked better and considered more beautiful. Now, those were the teachings of the day. Do those teachings show, uh, demonstrate the idea that marriage is to be permanent? No. It's a horrible teaching that was going on during that time. So why is it so important for us to view marriage as a marriage of permanence? Here's why. Because marriage represents the relationship that God has with people. Now can you imagine if God held the same view in his relationship with us that so many people hold concerning marriage? None of us would be connected to God. God is faithful to to us in love and in permanence because He's committed to us regardless. God loves you unconditionally. Romans 5.8 shows the permanence of God's relationships with people when it says God demonstrates His own love towards us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize every day we step outside the bounds of God? Do you realize every day we sin against God and yet God Faithfully chooses to love us anyway. Because he's married to us. In Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Our world needs to see a picture of our God. Let me tell you something, one of the best pictures you can give of God is to have a marriage that honors God if you want to make a difference in this world today one of the best ways you can do it is how you treat and love and care for your husband and your wife and you honor your spouse you are honoring God and you are giving a picture to a world that is in desperate need of seeing God to see what God's like Is marriage important? Yes. Is it scary? Yeah. But do we need to be fearful of it? No. Why? Because God made it. And when God made it, he made it for a reason. He made it as a way for us to have companionship and as a way for us to see how God himself works in our lives. What's his purpose for marriage? It's for him to be the pilot. It's for our marriages to demonstrate teamwork and our marriages to be permanent. All right, that's a pretty good little checklist. Kind of look at that. Here's a question for you. How you doing? Don't answer out loud. Wives, don't speak for your husbands either. Yeah, how are you doing in marriage? How's it going? Some of you might say, you know what? I, I am a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. But my marriage doesn't represent the kind of love that God has for me. What am I supposed to do? You know, the best thing you can do is just simply take time and just a few moments to pray. To pray with your spouse. And say, God, I desire for my marriage to honor you. Lord, I pray that you will open up my heart and my mind to you. And God, may I quit looking at marriage as a way to get my rights and what I deserve. But to look and to see how I, through my life, can show my wife how you've loved me. How I can show my husband how you've loved me.